All right. Hey, 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 hey. Let me get that going. All right. All right. I haven't been here in a while. It's good to see everybody here. Are you Taiwan? one? How many of you, this is your first time here at New Philly, Itaewon? It's your first time. Raise your hand. I'll just welcome all the newcomers, y'all. Happy Easter. I think uh, some people don't like calling it Easter. They, they insist on calling it Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, I got no hate for the word Easter, all right? I grew up, I grew up hunting for Easter eggs and eating Easter candy. Uh, I call it Easter, I call it Resurrection Sunday, I call it whatever, as long as Jesus gets the glory, amen? amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 1, verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read from the ESV. If you have, if you don't have a Bible, please read along with your neighbor. All right. I want everyone to read along here. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him, sin will have no dominion over me. For all the newcomers, when I say that, people actually do it. So uh, you might want to participate or you're going to. You're going to look a little stiff. All right. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God sent his only son into the world. He stripped himself of his divinity, of his divine nature, came out of heaven, walked this earth. Actually, he didn't come and appear on earth like the Terminator. 
at the age of 30 with sunglasses on, ready to redeem mankind. Jesus came to earth in a little manger. He was born as a helpless little vulnerable little baby. He didn't even have room in the inn for him. And Jesus grew up in favor with God and with man. And at the age of 33, Jesus died a criminal's death to pay the punishment for our sin. Jesus then three days later uh, rose again from the dead to prove forth that everything he said and everything he stood for was indeed true. Okay, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that Christians we believe in and we preach. And much of the church preaches this message and gets people to believe this message. But the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't just end there. Not only is the death and resurrection of Christ the foundation of the message we believe, it is also to be the pattern of the life we ought to live. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it doesn't just talk about Christ's death. What you will notice here is it says, we were buried. Everybody say, we were buried. buried. It doesn't just talk about Christ's death. It talks about your burial. Our burial. What is that that all about? When's the last time you went to your own funeral? Right? I don't think anybody in here, you've died and rose again. Anybody with a resurrection testimony? I'm not talking metaphoric. All right? None of us have tasted death and come back from death. So what's he talking about here? We were buried. What's that mean? And verse verse 3, it tells us, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Um, So, back in Paul's time, almost everyone who put their faith in Christ was immediately water baptized. And there's two reasons I can think of of why water baptism back then was so, so valued, so meaningful. Two reasons I can think of. One... It's because Christ commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, at the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Right? And so, uh, that's one reason why, in the early church, baptism was so valued. But there's another reason why baptism has such meaning back then, and why everybody uh, was baptized almost immediately is because many of the first converts to the church were Jews. And in the Old Covenant, the sign of the Old Covenant was circumcision. All right? And can all the sisters say hallelujah? Hallelujah. All right? I mean, (laughs) we men, we have to bear the mark of of this covenant on the other side of the, on the Old Testament side. And uh, what happened was, in the early church, a lot of these Jewish converts, uh, some of them started to go around and spread these ideas and doctrines that not only did you have to obey uh, the gospel, but you had to obey the Old Testament Mosaic law. And so if you really want to be a Christian, you got to get circumcised. All right? And for a lot of the uh, Greeks and Gentiles, the non-Jews at that time, many of them uh, we're not circumcised, all right? It's just something that 
they thought was brutal. It was, why would you do that to your baby boy? You know, and even today, I mean, a lot of doctors are split on why, why we even like circumcise our little boys. <laughs> now, today, we don't do it for any ceremonial reason or any kind of covenant reasons. Um, so there were these Jewish Christians trying to spread this doctrine that you must be circumcised to become a Christian. Let me, let me ask you something. We have church membership here in New Philly. If all of a sudden we started, let's say all the men in the city of Seoul are not circumcised. Okay. I don't mean to get graphic, but. And what if we tell all of these uncircumcised brothers. All right. If you want to join at the end of the membership class, we say, if you want to join New Philly. Not only do you have to come out faithfully. Not only do you have to tie faithfully, but you got to get circumcised. If you're a man, we will have circumcision done by Pastor John Michael. In the back room, just stick around. We'll get you taken care of. Like, if that was part of our membership requirements, nobody would join New Philly. All right, it's hard enough for, you know, let me just be real, right? I got, I got circumcised when I was 12 years old. And it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. I was out of commission for three to four weeks. I could not wear any underwear. I just had to wear a big oversized t-shirt. For two, three, four weeks. I couldn't take a bath. Anyway, I, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> Praise the Lord for the Apostle Paul. Because by revelation, he got that. No, we don't need circumcision. That's, not, we have, that's the old covenant. That's the sign of the old covenant. We have a new covenant. And we have a new sign to represent the new covenant. And that sign is baptism. The women can partake in it as well. It's not as painful. It's a little inconvenient, but nothing compared to circumcision. Right? And there's a lot of powerful meaning and symbolism in water baptism. And actually, it is a sign of circumcision, but it's a different kind of circumcision. Hey, Julie. Oh, my goodness. Okay, all right. I didn't know Julie was Julie. She's uh, one of my Columbia students. Uh, it's a different kind of circumcision. It's a circumcision. <laughs> I haven't seen her in like eight years, seven, eight years. It's not just circumcision of the flesh. It's a circumcision of the heart. And what God's spirit does with the gospel is he cuts away. Excess flesh, but he does it in the heart. He circumcises our hearts. He circumcises our flesh so that we can be more and more like Christ. And so anyway, these are two reasons why water baptism was just very, like it was just assumed. It was just something everybody did. All right? Every person who went out to evangelize, they would, almost, they would do an altar call and they would just get people to a body of water and baptize them. So everyone at this time was baptized. So just for the sake of this message being meaningful to everybody, whether you're a Christian in this room or not, whether you've been baptized or not, let's just all pretend we've been baptized so we can relate to my message today. All right, let's all just assume we've been baptized, okay? Um, Romans 6.3 tells us that when we were baptized into, into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, verse 4 says that we were buried. Through baptism, we were buried. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do we need to get buried? 
Why do we need to get buried? Why? Because there are some things in our lives that just need to die. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about your mom. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your spouse. Talk about your pride. There are some things in life that just need to die. Your selfishness, your lust, your foolishness. It makes for better marriages. It makes for healthier friendships. It makes for better ministry. When these things die, we are able to experience Christ's abundant life to the full. Why do we need to get buried? Because in life, there are just certain things that need to die. And when we come to Christ, the picture that the Bible gives us of the gospel is not one of a person um, believing in a new set of religious beliefs and becoming a better man or woman. It's not a picture of self-improvement. Let me tell you that right now. You know, a lot of... uh, Evangelical Christianity, sometimes we water down the gospel so much, it becomes a message of self-improvement. Are you having a hard time with your marriage? Hard time with your finances? Can't find a job? Come to Jesus. (laughs) You'll get a new job. You get a new car. You get a better marriage. He'll help fix everything. You know, and the message becomes this, wow, wow, well, I'm... Going my way doesn't seem to work so well. Maybe I should try Jesus. And it becomes this message of self-improvement. But I'm telling you right now, the Bible doesn't give us a picture of the gospel like that. The gospel is not like a software upgrade. You know, becoming a Christian is not like a software upgrade. It's more like getting a completely new operating system and new hardware to go with it. It's like going from a Windows computer and getting yourself a Mac. That's what the gospel's like. Jesus comes to you and says, look at your computer. It's got too much viruses. There's too much spyware. We can't do nothing with this. It ain't going to help to upgrade this thing. We just need to get rid of the whole computer. Get yourself an Apple. Get yourself a Mac. That's the picture of the gospel. Speaking truth. He wants you to get just a whole brand new one. Whole brand new heart. Radical, brand new, transformed life. And the best way to say goodbye to the old and welcome in the new is through the symbol of death. We all need to learn how to die to ourselves. Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're a Christian and you're not familiar with the concept of death, you're not really familiar with Christianity yet. I'll tell you right now, if all you think Christianity is about is memorizing Bible verses and improving your life, mm -mm. Christianity is about death. It's about learning to die to yourself So that Christ can live through you. Um, We need to learn how to die to ourselves. We also need to learn how to put to death certain things in our lives. 
old patterns of sin, old patterns of thinking. You know, we need to take our old patterns of thinking, and instead of trying to tweak it with the Word of God, we just need to kind of take some of our old patterns of thinking and put it in an electric chair and say, these are my old patterns of thinking. This is, let's say, this is an electric chair. And then go up and say, this is the switch to the electric chair. And old patterns of thinking, you need to just die. (laughs) Die. I mean, this is biblical. This is the Bible picture. This is the picture scripture gives us. It says, we need to nail it to the cross. We need to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Put to death our flesh, our, our natural tendencies, our, what our psyche, our soul tends to lean toward. The unrenewed, unregenerate self. That's part of our old nature. We need to do away with it and we need to learn how to put that to death. We need to take the sword of the spirit and just chop off the power of sin. If sin, um, and I use this analogy at Hillside, if sin, you know, sometimes sin is like Goliath. The demonic manifestations that accompany temptations of sin, sometimes it's like Goliath. You know, uh, let's say you mess up in some particular habit of sin that you've been trying to get set free from, whether that's drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality, pornography, whatever, whatever it is, right? Let's say you fall into that. What, what are some of the immediate things you hear? It's very similar to the voice of Goliath in that story where David's confronting Goliath, right? These demonic voices come and say, look at you. You're a hypocrite. You're not a real Christian. What a loser. You can't go to church like this. You can't, you can't serve in the ministry like this. You shouldn't be on the welcoming team. Look at you. And, and these voices start condescending us mocking us, belittling us, just like Goliath was doing for David. But what does David do in the, in the biblical account? Right? Goliath is there mocking him. Goliath doesn't even take a step. David takes the first steps and starts running toward him. And David, you know, had a good aim, right? He had nothing to do while taking care of all them sheep. So he had, he used to play with rocks all the time. So he had a good aim, right? And he nails it right in the middle of the head. But I'm telling you right now, Goliath was a big dude. All right, I, bet, I bet that anointed stone, it hit real hard, but I, did, I bet it didn't kill him. You know, I bet he fell to the ground, but he was still conscious and he was trying to like wiggle out. He was trying to gather his energy so he can get up. What did David do? David didn't just go over and, and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I beat Goliath with one stone. No, he, he made sure Goliath was dead. He took a sword and cut off his head. That's what we got to do with sin. We can't just knock it down and go, yeah, sin, that's it. You know what's up now. And just walk away. You know, it's like in every Hollywood movie, you know. The fighter gets the guy down, you know, uh, blood sport, uh, all, the other, all the other movies, you know, they, the fighter goes down and then he starts turn his back and you're like, don't turn your back. No, no. <laughs> you know, and then the enemy gets up and pounce. You know, that's what sin does, man. We, we need to 
put to death sin. Not just knock it down. We need to put it to death. We need to learn to start thinking of uh, sin as being buried. You know, there's one thing. There's a knockout. There's death and there's burial. Burial is like a whole other stage of death. Like even when some of you die, right? There are going to be stages of death. Like, there's one stage. There's like clinical death. And then after like, I think 30 minutes, then the doctors say biologically dead. Right? And there's a different stage of death, right? When you're buried six feet under, that's like a whole new level of death. You're done. You're dead. And the Bible says we were buried with him. Parts of our old ways. They were buried with him. And that why, why is Paul even talking about Why is he even bringing this up? Because in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. He asks, and he asks this rhetorical question. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Because in the previous chapter, he's talking about every time we sin, grace abounded. And more sin, more grace. So hallelujah. You know, thank you, Lord, for grace, right? And then the immature response from any baby believer might be like, oh, well, then I should just sin all the more as much as I can so that God's grace can abound to my life. And you're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That don't sound right. Right, and we always feel like, whoa, whoa, don't, don't say that. that. That's not right. But we never have a good answer, right? Well, Paul here provides that answer. He provides that answer by giving us an image. He says, you were buried. Sin is dead. There's that part of you, and then actually, you need to consider it dead. Because when you were baptized in water, when that gospel message took effect in your life, Sin was put to death. And when we put sin to death, we can consider it buried and done. And sin has no dominion over us. You know, sometimes we as Christians, uh, I like this analogy. If we're like a hotel... If our lives are like a hotel, we need to tell sin there's no vacancy. But you know what happens? Sin comes knocking, rings the bell, front desk. I've, I've arrived here at Daisy Hotel, Arabelle Hotel. And uh, yeah, I would, like, I would like a room in, one, in your hotel. And then we, sin comes around looking for Vegas. And we, and we say, oh, all right, well, let me see what I can do for you. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, depending, you know, a lot of hotels, depending on your customers, it def- defines how many stars you get. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have, like, distinguished guests staying at Motel 6. Right? But uh, Satan has so deceived so many Christians that many of our, many of our Christian lives, it's not like a five-star luxury hotel. Where only the uh, most honored guests, uh, I, I don't mean like in the more like, you know, poverty, rich, poor thing. I'm just talking about like as an honored guest, you know, honored guests go to nice hotels, right? And then who ends up staying at these like sleazy motels, right? It's like people that are, that maybe some of them have lived foolish lives. Some of them may be unfortunate, but a lot of them also live very foolish lives. But they may be shanking it up, 
with prostitutes, with uh, someone that they shouldn't be with, right? It's just sleazy motels. And we, whenever sin comes knocking around our door, we need to understand that we're not a sleazy motel. We can't just let sin just in. We can't, we can't be like, oh, yeah, we got a room reserved for you, sin. You haven't been causing me too much trouble, so I'll let you in. I'll let you stay a night. I'll let you stay a, a couple of days. Right? And, and sin will be like, oh, thank you. But the next thing you know, when, just when you least expect it, sin is just back right on you, trying to create shackles and bondage. We need to learn how to tell sin there's no vacancy. You're not welcome here. This is not the place for you. This is a five-star luxury hotel. This is a royalty hotel. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Right now. Let me, let me, my, my wife was telling me this on the drive over here. And let me share this revelation right now. Many of our single brothers and sisters in here, the majority of you all are single, right? <laughs> Check this out, man. You need to start treating your love life like a, like a five-star luxury hotel instead of a sleazy motel. Too many of us, man, we just open up our hearts to the wrong people. To some sleazy, sneaky, shady, lacking character, dude that all he cares about is sex, all he cares about is meeting his own needs. Uh, we, need, we need to have a little bit. We need to. We need to. Jesus honors your body. He died for your body. And we need to come in agreement with that. We need to learn how to treasure ourselves. And honor our physical bodies. And not just allow some dude that's macking it to you to, to let him in. You know what I mean? Same for the men. Just because she's pretty, all right? Just because she's pretty, you, she, you know, you guys should be looking for the whole thing. Look to their hearts. Look to their character. Look to their faith. Anyway, I'm just saying, y'all are, 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 y'all are not a season motel. You're, you're, you're a royal hotel <laughs> resort, all right? So be careful who, which guests you let in. There should be no vacancy because every room in your heart is filled with his righteousness, joy, and peace. Yeah. So you say, you know what, Satan? All right, I don't got room. I don't got time for this. Yeah. No vacancy. I mean, all right, so that's what I'm saying. All right. Now, um, we need to be reminded that when we, when we sin or when we fall, it's not that it proves that we are hypocrites or failures. It just reveals that we're focusing on the wrong resurrection. Let me talk to you about the wrong resurrection right now. If something is dead, what is required for it to be alive again? It needs to be resurrected, right? It needs to, it needs to be, rec- if something is dead, you need to resurrect it for it to be alive again. Now, What Satan does is he takes something that is dead and he deceives us and he wants you to believe that sin continues to have dominion over you. He tries to convince you that a corpse is not just even like a weak, frail, 
thing, figure. It's, it's like a corpse. He's trying to, he's convinced us, he's deceived us that a corpse has the power to be your master. That a corpse has dominion over your life. And when we fall into that deception, in other words, he wants you to believe that something that is dead has been resurrected and continues to dominate your life. That's what he tries to make you believe. And a lot of times in our churches, we've been, we're not doing a good job of, of preaching the, the fullness of the gospel. We're not preaching the full ramifications of what the gospel is. It's not just, a, like I said at the beginning, it's not just a foundation. The death and resurrection of Christ is not just a foundation of, of the content of what we believe. It is a pattern for how we are to experience Christianity on earth. Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. But what Satan does is, he tries to get you to focus on the wrong resurrection. He says, sin. The Bible says it's dead. But it's actually not. These old patterns, you haven't made any progress. You will never make any progress. This is too powerful. You will never break free. These addictions will stay with you for the rest of your life. And Satan tries to deceive us into believing that a corpse has the power to dominate your life. But what does verse 14 say here, chapter 6? It says, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion. Everyone say, no dominion. No dominion. See, when Satan can get you to believe that sin has been resurrected, he can put you into bondage to something that God has clearly given us dominion over in Christ. Satan uses all of these tricks and, and deception to, to affect us in this way. And focus... Satan wants us to focus and identify with the resurrection of sin. God wants us to focus on and identify with the resurrection of Christ. Anybody with me here? But many times when we share our prayer requests, what's our main focus? Oh, man, you got to pray for me. I'm struggling. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's been so many years of this. My Christian life has always been marked by these sin patterns and uh, just pray for me that I can minimize it. You know, probably can't, I can't ever, you know, I can never be set free from it. So at least just, you know, like get along with it. As if sin is like some puppy, some cute little puppy that you're supposed to take care of. No, man, sin is like a, sin is a beast. You know, when sin, it's full grown, the Bible says it produces death. And we're not talking about a good death here. We're not talking about Christian death. We're talking about bad death. You know what bad death is, right? I won't get into it. Bad death, you know? You know, there are, you know, the Bible, and this is controversial, but a lot of people, they read the Bible. There's parts of the Bible where it actually talks about sins that lead to death. And a lot of people will come up to me when I was working for Campus Crusade, even when I uh, became a pastor. Some people will, you know, they're just really, uh, these are like the thinkers. You know, they look through the Bible and they just find all kinds of sorts of things. And they go, Pastor Christian, what does it mean, sins that lead to death? What if I committed that sin? I'm like, well, are you dead? <laughs> no, but what if I did? What is sins that lead to death? How do you define that? All right. Man, I don't know what those sins are. But what I do believe is in that concept. If you sin, 
recklessly on your own, apart from God, and you continue in that sin, the righteous judgment of God can not only chastise you and discipline you, try to bring you back, but even after he does that and that doesn't work, he can actually just give you early death. I believe he does that for, for Christians. People that have just so hardened and desensitized their hearts and grieved the Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes they just get emboldened and they just continue in that sin. And sometimes God will just say, all right, you know what? That's it. I'm putting you to death. I'm bringing you home now. Now, don't think God hasn't done stuff like that, right? God has done stuff like that and God's probably still doing that. In time of Noah, God was like, oh man, these people are sinning way too much. We need to do something about it. And God wasn't like, well, let's uh, send the Bible study teacher to go over there, try to reform these people. You know, God was like, man, we just need to kill them all. Anyway, um, there are, I think there are certain uh, sins that lead to death. And that's my point. Anyway, God wants us to focus on the resurrection of Christ. But here's the thing about the resurrection. Without death, there can be no resurrection. For Jesus to experience the resurrection, he had to endure the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? Meaning that if you want to live the new life, the new life of power, a new life of wisdom, a new life filled with God's favor, you want to live that newness of life, not the software upgrade, but the completely new computer system life, you want to live that new life, you got to learn how to die. You got to learn how to put to death certain things. You got to learn how to let go of certain things and self-denial. Just let it go. You got to learn how to die. And then you will experience the resurrection. Because without death, there is no resurrection. Well, last time I checked, resurrection follows death. And here's another piece of news for you. You are not a slave to sin. Jesus said the soul... Uh, or Jesus or Apostle Paul, I always get these mixed up. Anyway, uh, uh, he who sins is safe to sin, right? I think Jesus said it. He who sins is safe to sin, right? And then uh, we take that and then we say, oh, yeah, yeah, us Christians, yeah, on this side of, uh, of eternity, uh, we're just slaves to sin. So, you know, it's better to call ourselves sinners, feel guilty and be aware of our sin at all times because that's, that's, that's really what we're experiencing. We're just sinners, right? Because we're slaves to sin. Because everyone, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Right? But, you know, I don't think Jesus meant that to be interpreted that way. Because if that's where the gospel was supposed to end, then why would Paul expound upon things like, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And then it goes on to say, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And this whole passage, if you keep reading, it says, you are no longer slaves to sin. You can't be a slave to a master that is dead. That through Christ's death, that, that master is dead. The only reason that, that sin has power over you and, and it feels like he has dominion over you is because of deception. But the truth of the matter is, you have the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, you have dominion not only over sin, not only over 
death. But we have dominion over this earth. We're able to expand the kingdom of God. To expand the dominion of Christ. Wherever we are sprinkled. Wherever we are placed. So if you read here. Verse. Verse. uh, Five. Chapter six. Verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him. In a resurrection like his. We need to understand that. The death and resurrection of Christ. Is not just the content. Of the message we believe. It is the pattern that God has set forth that we are to experience so that we can have freedom and dominion over sin, that we can be victorious. It goes on later on to say that we are more than conquerors through Christ. You hear me? We are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. I want to take this time. I want to close our eyes and I want to offer some prayer for people in the room. I'm going to ask some of the, uh, let's get all the altar pastors up, altar leaders. And I don't know what your Christian life has been like before you entered into this room. Or what patterns of sins, thinking, addictions you've struggled with. I don't know what, 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 what your story is. But we want to pray for you here today so that sin will no longer have dominion over you. So that you can be united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So that you can be victorious. So that you can live out the true identity you have in Christ. You are a saint. You know, my old mentor used to say it like this. He said, we are saints. We are saved saints who sometimes sin. Our primary identity that Christ gives us is not, you are reformed sinners. You are improved sinners. He says, no. I've done such a radical work in your heart through the gospel that you are a saint. You are justified in my sight. You are declared righteous in my sight. That's your true identity. So identify with it and live it out. Don't let your past struggles and experiences define your identity. Let God's word define your identity. Your identity is as a blood-bought, washed as white saint. And God sees you as holy and pure and blameless in His sight because you are covered by the blood of Jesus. So at this moment, we're going to spend maybe about 10 minutes. Uh, for anyone in this room, uh, if you'd like to receive prayer from some of our pastors here in the front, I'm going to open it up for a time of prayer. You can um, feel free to just come forward and receive prayer at the front. We'll have some pastors just pray, lay hands, and uh, pray for certain people. All right. So if you'd like to receive prayer here today, this is something that we do. It's very normal. All right.